This is George Plaster, and for the very best in sports, keep your dial on 101.7 FM WKOM. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, the show where you gain clarity and understanding about such things as last will and testament, the probate process, trusts, and how not to lose everything you own to the high cost of the nursing home. Now here's your host, Estate Plan Stan. Okay, hey, good day to you. Good day to you on this July the 29th, 2023. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. I am Stan Perchowski with Perchowski Estate Law, Perchowski Elder Law, located on the square in beautiful downtown Pulaski, Tennessee. Bulletproof Estate Planning is the show where we talk about all things estate planning. That's right. We talk about things like last will and testament. We talk about revocable living trusts. We talk about special needs trust. We talk about asset protection trust and 10 care planning to help keep you from going broke if you're in the nursing home. Hey, as always, I encourage questions. I mean, this show is about education on what your options are. So if you have any questions, feel free to call me at my office at 931-363-7222. Or you can go to my website, estateplanstand. That's E-S-T-A-T-E, planstand.com. There you can find my email and ask me that way if you want. Hey, I always enjoy doing this show here on Front Porch Radio, WKOM, which is 101.7 FM in Columbia, Tennessee. I want to remind you that all my episodes are posted as podcasts on the WKOM website. So if you ever miss one, or if you just want to go back and review a topic, hey man, it is all there for you to do so. All right, so, gosh, July the 29th, we are... At the end of July, 2023 already. Isn't that something? Looks like the heat will be around for a little bit longer, but that, you know, it is the middle of summer in the south. So that should not be a surprise. <laughs> I hear people complain about the heat. And it's like, well, shouldn't be surprised. That's what it does this time of year. All right. Let me go over a couple things first. Uh, first thing uh, I want to talk about is uh, we had our seminar this morning. Uh, at the, here at the Star Theater, right next to my office um, today. So uh, we had a great crowd and a lot of great questions. So, you know, if you were at that, uh, that's great. Um, if you weren't, you might want to keep, you know, in, in mind the next one. Next Saturday, I'll uh, talk about when the next one is. I don't remember exactly when it is, but it's sometime in August. But I'll bring it up on the show, on the shows in the future, so... But yeah, the, these my my live seminars are pretty well taken, uh, pretty well enjoyed. I get a lot of good reviews on them. So if you hadn't come to one, and you want to, you probably ought to. So keep in touch. So all right, so we're going to kind of talk about a couple things preliminary. We've been talking about these crisis planning strategies and techniques, and we had talked about some of the, the simpler ones. But before I pick up on that, I want to go over some kind of current events, because we we like to keep up on what's going on in this estate planning world. And although a lot of things aren't happening all the time, it, you know, there is, uh, you know, there are court cases that come out on this. And I like to try to keep up with it, both on um, 
things that come out of Tennessee as well as things that come out of other states because not much comes out of Tennessee. Uh, you know, maybe once or twice a year, maybe three times a year at the most, does one of our courts or our appellate courts rule on an estate planning issue. And even then, half the time, they're not really relevant to the stuff we do or talk about. But every now and then they do. And they, a case came out uh, uh, just April 12th. Uh, no, actually, the actual opinion was actually it was argued in front of the uh, Court of Appeals on April 12th, and the decision was filed and issued July 14th, so just a week or two ago. So it's hot off the presses, and it's a pretty neat issue. Uh, it, it clears up a few things, um, and if, if you're you know if you're a geek and you want to look it up, uh, the style of the case is Kim Williams versus the Lewis Preservation Trust and others. Uh, it has an appeal number here which is E, like an echo, 2022-01034-COA, which stands for Court of Appeals, dash R3, which refers to Rule 3 of the Appellate Court Rules, dash CV, meaning a civil action. And in this case, there were several issues, but there was only one or two I'm going to talk about. Basically, let me give you the summary uh, the Reader's Digest version. You can read it for yourself if, if you're into it. But you had this couple, Robert and Elizabeth Lewis, and they created a revocable living trust. Now, we talked about those a while back. And, of course, they're not the asset protection trust we're talking that we just got done talking about. But it's a revocable living trust where you can put your assets in and control how the distribution is made and control how it goes to your heirs and protect it from certain things. Now, in this case, they created this revocable living trust. Well, after Robert died, the husband, after he died, but while his wife was still alive, and while his wife was still alive, she was in memory care, and so it was undisputed in this action that she was incapacitated. One of the children, named David, was acting as was her POA, and so he was acting as her POA because of her incapacity. And what he decided to do, and it was, you know, it doesn't look to me like he was trying to take advantage of anything. Uh, if not, he was trying to preserve some things. But what he was trying, what he did was he used his power of attorney to create an irrevocable trust. And he even says in here that irrevocable trust was kind of designed to protect assets in case mom, who was still alive and now was incapacitated, had to go to long-term care. And they talk about that. That was the reason for him making this irrevocable trust. Now, if you've been listening to me last couple of weeks, you know that the revocable living trust does not, I repeat, does not protect your assets from long-term care. If you want to protect assets from long-term care, you have to do the irrevocable asset protection trust, or what I call the income-only asset protection trust, which I talked about several weeks ago. That will protect it. So it makes sense if the goal is to protect it from long-term care, it makes sense that he wants to create a new trust, an irrevocable trust, and he, then he moved the assets from the revocable living trust into the irrevocable trust. That makes sense to me. Sounds like he, was, he got some good advice along the way, and uh, the better advice would have been to have done it in the first place because they put this trust together in 2012. They would have been clear of the five years and totally protected, but, you know, hey, Better late than never, I suppose. So that's what they were doing. Now, what came up was uh, one of the children, the girl, Kim Kim Williams, she decided to, after mom passed away, and she never did go in the nursing home, best I can tell from the decision, but she died. And after she died, um, Kim wanted to contest the trust. 
And the big issue she brought up was she did not think David had the authority either under the trust, the original trust, or his power of attorney to create a trust for his mother. And that's the issue I want to discuss a little bit, okay? Because it's kind of talking about power of attorneys, which I don't think I've gotten to yet uh, here on WKOM, but um, uh, I'm going to one of these days. But I'll just go and jump start and get, jump to this one thing about it. When you have a power of attorney, it lists powers you can do. I mean, I have this discussion with people all the time. That's why I, a lot of my trust plans include power of attorneys. Even if people already have them, I find them to be lacking. And when you have a power of attorney, it says what powers you can do. And you can only do the powers you're given. You can't do powers you're not given. And, and I mean, that makes pretty fundamental sense, doesn't it? Uh, you can do what I say you can do, but you can't just you can't do something I don't say, and you can't make the thing. You can't in in law you cannot make the argument. Well, it doesn't say I couldn't do it. Okay, that's like proving a negative. You have certain affirmative powers you can do, and just because if it's silent on a power, then you can't do it. Okay. Now that leads me to the next thing, and that is a lot of power of attorneys that I look at are very short, very brief. And they pretty much say, for one thing, they say, you know, this power of attorney incorporates by reference all the powers in the statute. Statute says you can do that. I don't like doing it because I've seen it fail. I like to list the powers directly into the instrument. <coughs> and if you do that, then, I, then it, it, in a lot of situations, that works better. That's my preference. So my power of attorneys are kind of longer. Now, the other thing is, there are, under our Uniform Durable Power of Attorney Act, there are two kinds of powers. There are your basic POA powers, and then we have a set of powers that are called enhanced powers. I call them superpowers, and I call them superpowers because they're the kind of powers, they're really a, a non-delegable right. And the only way to give your POA agent the ability to do those superpowers or do those non-delegable rights of yours, is for that power to be absolutely expressed within the four corners of the instrument. So let me give you an example. I see a lot of power of attorneys that say, my agent can do anything and everything I can do. Now, when you read that, it sounds all-inclusive, does it not? Well, it's not, because anything and everything does not include the enhanced powers. Because the statute says for these enhanced powers to be transferred to your agent, you must list or enumerate the power in the instrument itself. So if you say anything and everything, it sounds like it's anything and everything, but it is not. It doesn't include, include any of the enhanced powers. Now, there's about a dozen of these enhanced powers. One of them is the ability to create a trust for someone else. Uh, that's the reason that's a non-delegable right is that's, you know, that's a right held dearly by the court that they don't want you just giving away unless you intend to give it away. So, but if you intend to give it away, you got to actually say it when you give it away. Does that make sense? So the question is, this gentleman in this case, this David, created an irrevocable trust for his mom. Now, she had created a revocable living trust, no problem, but he was creating one that did not already exist. Now, that brings up another point. In the Power of Attorney Act that we have here in Tennessee, one of the regular powers, not one of the superpowers, one of the regular powers says you can fund or add to 
a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust if it had already been created by the trustor. So you can deal with a trust as far as putting property in and sometimes even taking it out if the trust already existed once the person became incapacitated and you started acting for them as POA. But we're talking about this gentleman in his court case actually created the thing after she, her, she was incapacitated and he was acting. So the question comes to my mind, you know, before I get to the end of the court case, when I'm reading it, I thought, well, if that power of attorney doesn't actually say he can do it, then, I, then the court's going to say it was a breach of his duty and he, he did something he wasn't allowed to do. Therefore, the trust he created is null and void. And I didn't know what it was until they started talking about what's in there. But what they, they quoted some sections from the uh, uh, power of attorney that he had, and lo and behold, it was there. Okay, I mean, the, the power to do that was there. So I guess I need to, I want to go to that, see if I can find it. Um, but, it, you know, it was a pretty comprehensive, uh, here we go. Uh, here's what it says in the power of attorney in this case that we're talking about. It says, my agent shall have the power to establish any trust with my assets for my benefit and the benefit of my issue and any other of my dependents or one or more of us upon such terms as my agent determines are necessary or proper after due consideration of the estate plan I have in place and of my known desires. So what does that tell us? That tells us he has the power to establish any trust. That means create it. Now, that is an, that's a superpower in the tendency. That's an enhanced power, and he doesn't have it unless it's in the power of attorney, and I just read to you that it is in the power of attorney. So the court ruled, and I agree with him, that he had the power to do that. The complaint was he didn't have it. Um, and they, they thrashed this out, and, they said, you know, and so they put in there that it, he, it did exist. Now, the point of all this is when we do powers of attorney for these trust plans, and you have, and, you know, you're putting your trust in your child to be your power of attorney when you're incapacitated so they can make good decisions for you. We want them to have all the powers, really. We literally want them to do anything and everything. So in order to do that, we need to list these these kind of powers. Now, if you have a trust plan, don't you think it's a good idea that your agent is able to deal with your trust or make new trust for you? Or if one of them doesn't work, he can decant it. We'll talk about decanting a trust, but decanting is the ability to create a new trust and pour the old trust into it uh, due to changes in the law and stuff like that. You would, it would be nice if your kids or your, your heirs had the ability to modify, to some extent, what you did. Because remember, when I just read to you what this was, the only limitation I saw was it had to conform to her desires of what her estate plan was. And her estate plan is, in general terms, for the benefit of her children. And David putting it into an irrevocable trust for the purposes of saving it from being lost to the high cost of long-term care, the court said, and I agreed with him, was definitely in the best interest of the depend descendants, right? It's keeping the assets from being squandered on long-term care. So uh, the point is, when you have a power attorney, they need to be done specifically. First of all, everybody needs one. And second of all, you need one that works. And it's not so willy-nilly to just throw something together and say, uh, my agent can act for me and do anything and I can everything anything and everything I can do. Because it won't cut it if any of these superpowers are needed. You know, one of them is like filing tax returns. I mean, you can't just, you got to have the language that the IRS includes in their 8509 form or whatever it is, their power of attorney, before they'll accept you filing tax returns for somebody. So, 
Anyway, that's that. The other thing that came out of this case, I just want to briefly mention, and that was because Kim challenged the trust, they wanted to enforce the no contest clause. Because in all trusts, I mentioned, you can put an interim interim clause. That's Latin for no contest. And the no contest clause says if you challenge this, you don't get anything. Okay? So, you know, and that's what we want because it's the trust tour's intent. That's what the legislature says. When they when they made the no contest clause 100% enforceable in a trust, they used language that the 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 trust tour's intent, remember the trust tour is the maker of the trust. The trust tour's intent is paramount and will not disturb it absent compelling evidence to do so. And so if you have somebody that just wants to challenge it because they don't think they got enough, the punishment for challenging it is you don't get anything. You take as if you predeceased. Sound like a harsh result? Maybe. But I think it's an appropriate result because if I, I don't want somebody trying to alter my intentions after I'm gone. I want my intentions to be memorialized and enforced. And this is, and the legislature agrees with that and said that's what we're going to do. We're going to enforce what's in this trust. So if you try to challenge it, you don't get anything. Now, there are exceptions to that. And one, you know, they said she's challenging this. She should be, uh, be void of her distribution. But the court said, no, wait a minute. It says in here that you can challenge if the trustee is breaching his duty. So if, so, you know, if you're supposed to get a third of the estate and the trustee says, eh, I'm not going to give you a third. I'm only going to give you a fifth. And you challenge that. You're not really challenging what you're getting in the trust. You're challenging the fact that the trustee's not giving it to you. You're saying, I'm, I'm entitled to a third. I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing the fact that he's not giving it to me. So if you challenge the, the trustee's actions, like a, a breach of fiduciary duty, that is not considered a challenge that triggers the no contest clause and the not getting anything. You're, you know, if you're not getting what you're supposed to, you should have a remedy in court to, to, to file and, and petition for to get what's coming to you. Because again, we're back to the trustor's intent. So if the trustor intended you to get a third, the trustee should not be in a position to make it something different. So the no, you know, the, they 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 said they would have enforced a no contest clause, but they're not going to because her entire petition was complaining that David acted when he didn't have the power to act. She never did try to um, uh, uh, revoke the new irrevocable trust that was made. She just said he didn't have the power to make it in the first place. So she always questioned his fiduciary duty and his actions as a fiduciary. Never complained about what she was trying to get out of the trust. So they did not enforce the no contest clause. And I agree with that. And the appellate courts do a good job on these and ours are exceptionally good. Uh, so they, you know, right, that was right down the pike of some of the stuff we talk about. And I like to keep you folks informed of that simply because, you know, when we know what the courts will enforce, then we know what we can expect. Right. So whenever the courts go with this, I like to do what they say they'll enforce. And I like to not do what they say they won't enforce. And that keeps us correct most of the time. So we can glean from these court cases and even ones from other states if their laws are similar to ours. And there are about 20 states that do have very similar laws. So anyway, hey, we're coming up on break number one. So stay with me here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan, and we will be back right after this.
Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. And I'm Michael Parks Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Together, we're Mr. Bobby Parks' grandsons, and we run his dealership, and we are glad to be part of our local community. Being family-owned and operated, we invest heavily in our community. We do things like sports teams, schools, bands, you name it. We try to help everybody we can. The reason why we do this is because we all love this community. So come do business with us, your neighbors, at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, right off Nashville Highway, or at ParksMotorSales.com. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. By now you all know about Don, our service truck guy. Well, let me tell you about another member of our service team, and that's Mike Ashley. He's the guy you'll talk to when you call the office. Just call and talk to Mike one time at 931-540-0919, and you'll see why we're lucky to have him here at the Garbage Man. Thanks, Mike, for all you do to keep the Garbage Man first in service. That's 931-540-0919. This is Elk Kennedy. The old saying is, happy wife, happy life couldn't be more true. Many years ago, my wife, Mary Susan, had major surgery on her back, but continued with chronic pain. Doctors were saying invalid, disabled, but then she found the Dr. Gill Center for Back, Neck, and Chronic Pain in Franklin, Tennessee. It has changed our lives. We visited there recently with Dr. Wendy Tui, saw the state-of-the-art facilities. Folks, don't take a pill. Call Dr. Gill. Go to callmepainfree.com. Let's face it, the world is constantly changing and it is now more important than ever to take care of those who you trust with your business every day. Large and even international competition has made it increasingly difficult to keep your best talent. With Caledonian Financial's local business plan to help, you can give your employees a business package that is competitive and effective for everyone. I'm Thomas Sneed with Caledonian Financial here in downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated. Member FINRA and SIPC. The NASCAR Xfinity Series. Josh Berry will bring the field to the green flag, and we are underway. Regular season championship battle continues at Michigan. Mayor to second with the tire up. Berry's in the wall, right in front of us in two. Can Austin Hill go back-to-back? Out front when the caution comes out is Austin Hill. What a drive. What a gamble. It's the Cabo Wabo 250. Saturday, August 5th at 2 p.m. on WKOM 101.7 FM. You're listening to your local radio. 101.7 WKOM Columbia. All right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back after the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. All right. So we're going to pick up where we left off. And uh, one of the things I I promised to talk about last week at the end of the hour 
was I talked about this concept of converting countable assets into non-countable assets and how sometimes we can confuse that with the converting of countable to non-countable when we add them to the trust, the asset protection trust that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. So I said I would thrash that out a little more. And so as promised, that's what we're going to do now. So we've been talking about this concept. Uh, when you're somebody's in crisis, I mean, somebody's in the nursing home, they have to become eligible before 10 care will pay benefits. Part of the eligibility process, you know, there's several categories. One is medically needy, which I don't have anything to do with. That's a medical decision. You know, you have to need to be there. Second one is you have to be income eligible. We haven't got to that yet. And the third one is you have to be resource eligible, meaning the stuff that you own, you know, not your Social Security or your pension. That's all income. Uh, the money in the bank, your property, um, your investment accounts, your stuff, your ownership and stuff is what resource eligibility comes from. And the statute is clear that you have to have less than $2,000 of countable assets. Now, I brought up the question that, you know, can you have non-countable assets? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. They are different categories. And non-countable is actually a category of five or six different different categories within that category. So anything that's countable is simply that that which is non-countable or not non-countable. Or the other way around. A non-countable asset is defined as not a countable asset. So, and then we just, we established that you can, in fact, convert countable assets to non-countable assets. And we went over some of the simple strategies. And again, just to recap, the simple strategies were basically uh, consumer transactions for fair market value. So we said, you know, you're allowed to have a car. So that's a non-countable asset. And it said regardless of value. So if you didn't have a car, but you had $20,000 in the bank, and, you know, you said, okay, well, I can't apply because they're going to tell me I've got more than $2,000 accountable. I actually got 18000 more over the limit, right? Well, you can take your $20,000 and buy a car for $20,000. The car is non-countable. So it also says regardless of value. So now you've made yourself eligible because you've gotten rid of all your countable assets, and you did so by a consumer transaction, quid quo pro, where you took $20,000 of countable assets, purchased a non-countable asset. You purchased some personal property. And so when you look at the books, or let's say you paid $18,000 for it. Now you look at the books, you got $2,000 accountable, $18,000 in non-countable. Do you qualify? Yes, you do, because the statute is silent on non-countable assets. Other than explaining what's, uh, other than explaining what non-countable assets are, it doesn't give you a limit. I mean, you can have two thousand dollars of countable assets and a million dollars of non-countable assets. That's what our asset protection trust is designed to do: save all your real estate, your big-ticket items, and keep them out of the equation for being available for long-term care. And if you remember, I said if you have trouble with the concept countable and non-countable. Insert the word available or not available. When I say available, I mean available for paying the cost of care. It's the same concept, so it might help you more to use that term. So those were some of the simple ones. Now, I was talking about some confusion that has come up. People get concerned and they say, well, I want to buy a new car, but I'm worried about that five-year penalty period. And there's a misunderstanding there. 
So let me go over this. When you when you purchased that car I just talked about, when you buy that car, you took a countable asset, which was money in the bank, and you changed its posture, you changed its status to non-countable by purchasing the car and the car you're allowed to have. Now, there's no penalty period associated with that. Why? Because you didn't give anything away. It was quid quo pro. You gave you took twenty thousand or eighteen thousand dollars and you bought an eighteen thousand dollars worth of car. Now we talked before about you can get into you can get into penalty periods if you're, you know, if it, if um, you know the car is a, a fifty thousand dollar car and you it's your kids and you only give them eighteen thousand dollars for it. It's kind of like a and you received a lot more value than you paid for. They're going to consider some of that a gift, right, to you. Now you suddenly have more accountable assets you started off with. So I'm talking about a fair market arm's length transaction where, you know, you've got valid $18,000 worth of value for your $18,000. There's no penalty period associated with that because if you remember, the penalty period is only created when you divest yourself. The the term used in the statute is divestment, which means you're giving something up for less than fair market value. So... Let's just say, same example, you had $20,000 in the bank of countable assets, and that was keeping you from becoming eligible. So you take $18,000, you write a check, and you give it to your kid and say, here you go, son, here's $18,000. Well, you have just made that $18,000 non-countable, right? I mean, it's now unavailable. Why? Because it's not yours anymore. It can't be available to pay for care because you gave it away. You could give it to your son. You could give it to a bum on the street if you want. You can give it to a charity. Uh, the point is you gave it away. Once you give it away, it's not yours anymore. So if it's not yours anymore, it can't be considered available. But the difference between the two things, whether you do it for a fair market exchange or you do it by gifting it away, is the penalty period. So both in both situations, you have made the asset non-countable. The moment you gave it away, it was non-countable. We've accomplished that goal. But when you make it non-countable by the giving away, now we have to incorporate the penalty period. And remember, we said the penalty period is a period of ineligibility that they can compute that's based on the value of what you gave away. If those who you listen, those who of you who listen to me, we talked about calculating that, and we'll talk about it again. But essentially, you take the value of what you gave away, in this case, $18,000. You divide it by the Tennessee Divestment Penalty Divisor, which right now is $7,090.20 per month. When you divide it out, you get a number in months. And in that case, it'd be somewhere around two and a half, two and a half months. So if you give that away, they're going to penalize you for doing it by not paying for your care, even though you are eligible. They're going to not pay for two and a half months by imposing this penalty period. Well, that's exactly what we're doing when we put it in trust. And it has to be that way. Think of it. If you put your real estate into an income-only asset protection trust, you are technically gifting it to the trust because the trust is, you know, let's say it's a $400,000 home. You put it in the trust, the trust is not paying you $400,000 for it, so it's not a value-for-value exchange. What we do is when we put it in the trust, we have instantly made it non-countable. Because remember, we put it in an irrevocable trust with limited access to it, so we can't, it's not available for care. We've made it non-countable. The addition to that is if you if we make it non-countable by giving it away to the trust or anywhere else, that imposes the penalty period, the five-year rule. 
So if we do that, if we make it non-countable by gifting it away, either to a trust or to a person or to an organization, if we make that gift or that transaction within 60 months of going into the nursing home, they can penalize us for that. That's that five-year look-back rule. So it may be a little bit of a subtle difference, but try to wrap your head around it because it's important. It, you know, it does accomplish the goal. It makes it non-countable. Absolutely. The very moment you do it. That's why you can move property into an asset protection trust, and then you can give it to your kids the very next day if you want. And that's not a penalty. You know, you've already given it to the trust. You've already been, you're already going to be penalized. They already have you on the hook for five years from the day you put it in the trust. That's why we say to be 100% protected with the income-only asset protection trust, we got to have five years. we got to put it in there and stay out of the nursing home for five years. And that's why, because of the penalty period. Uh, so we haven't done much. We made it non-countable, and they're not going to consider it countable. What they're going to do is penalize us for putting, for giving it away and making it non-countable, and which makes sense. If if you, and again, it, it makes sense that the trust would not pay you for it because if you took a four hundred thousand dollar house and put it in a trust, then the trust paid you four hundred thousand dollars for it. I mean, we haven't accomplished anything. You still have available to you a $400,000 asset, do you not? You had a $400,000 house, you gave it to the trust, if they paid you for it, and I got $400,000 in cash, that's available. I mean, it's kind of self-exacting, okay? We, we haven't accomplished anything. We want to put it in the trust where it's protected. We just have to, we're just stuck with the penalty period when we make it non-countable that way by, you know, vis-a-vis by giving it away. I hope that makes sense. I don't know how to make it much clearer than that, but it is a odd concept, and it, you may have to let it digest, okay? So, all right. Those are the two things I wanted to cover. I covered the court case, and I covered the um, countable versus countable by with a penalty. And last week when we end, kind of ended up, we talked about make, how to make assets non-countable by making them unavailable. And we said, suppose, you know, a good example we said about unavailability is suppose a person has two houses, their personal, their primary residence, and a vacation home. You know, I think I said the classic snowbird. You know, you live up north in your home. You have a home in Florida that you go to during the winter. And, you know, you go into the nursing home. You go into the nursing home up there by your home in the state where you live. And when you're trying to become eligible, you have this other real estate that's going to be, is definitely countable, and it's going to keep you from getting um eligible because if you got a piece of real estate, I'd say it's about a hundred percent chance it's worth more than $2,000. So, you know, it's a countable asset that's going to keep us from being eligible. So let's just say the person decides to sell the house. So, and their, their, per, their reason to sell the house is to turn it into money so they can pay their nursing home bill. Now that's not the way I would do it, but for purposes of this example, let's say that's what's going on. So they go to their local real estate person and they list the Florida house. Put it up for sale. It's worth $100,000, okay? We want, and, and the fair market value is 100000 In other words, we're not inflating it uh, way above what it's worth. So let's say we get an appraisal done, or let's just get crazy and say we had two or three appraisals done, and the average of the three appraisals is $100,000. So we know that this is the fair market value of this piece of property. And so we put, up, we put it up for sale for that. Now let's just suppose it doesn't sell. Well, the the 10 care rules are not going to hold us accountable 
for that. So they're going to classify that as unavailable. Because if we're trying to sell it, we're not required to sell it at a loss. But we can't also say, okay, it's a $100,000 piece of property, so I'm going to post it for 500000 That way nobody will want to buy it. And that way I can tell TenCare, hey, I put it up, but nobody bought it, so we'll have to make it unavailable. No, they'll, you know, they've heard that trick before. And um, the rules say you got to, you know, it has to be fair market value. And if it is posted for fair market value and it won't sell after a certain period of time, it's considered unavailable. They cannot use that against you because you can't, you can't sell it. But like I said, they're not going to make you sell it at a loss. That's you know that uh, starts to that starts to um, arise to the level of confiscation of property. So that's unavailable. We talked about and the other ways we talked about unavailable is by joint ownership. And I'm not going to go back into it. You know, everything I do here on WKOM is posted as podcasts. You can go back over last week's episode and you can uh, hear listen to it again. But that brings us up now to the next thing I want to talk about. You know, we talked about the unavailable. There's another category that I want to talk about. It's called non-sellable assets. And, you know, I think I just talked about the non-sellable asset, didn't I? Yes, I did. Um, I, uh, I, I, was in, I intended to review the unavailable, but I, it meant non-sellable. So when you put something up for sale, like I just, in the example I just did, it's non-sellable, not unavailable. All right, that's what I meant to say, and I got confused with the fact that we were—I was reviewing what we did last week, which was unavailable. The unavailable is that joint ownership, and in an instrument that requires, for for in other words, for ten care to get at it, they they have to sell it, and for them to sell it, it requires all the co-owners to agree to sell it. And if you have co-owners that simply file an affidavit and say, "I refuse to sell." Now it's unavailable, okay? But again, that example I gave is the perfect example I meant to give, but the the category I'm talking about now is unsellable stuff. So if you put this thing up for sale and it doesn't sell, then it's it's considered unsellable. Now, when it's unsellable, unsellable, they just determine it to be unavailable. Now, another classic example of unsellable can be timeshares. Now, usually unsellable is something... We have to do for a period of time, like 90 days. It's got to be posted for 90 days and can't sell it. Usually when we're in crisis, we, have, you know, we don't have 90 days to screw around with trying to list something and get it unsellable. So uh, it, it is a crisis planning strategy, but it, it's, in my opinion, it's one that needs to be done while you have time to do it. But a, a timeshare is a classic thing. I mean, sometimes when you have a timeshare, I mean, I guess it has value, but it's something you couldn't even give away. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know I used to have one. I get it. So there, that's a, it's a different kind of asset. So um, uh, again, if you can, if you you can get an if you can't sell something, all you need to do is prove to them you can't sell it. And the way you prove to them you can't sell it is you post it for fair market value for a reasonable amount of time, and show them that you got no takers. Again, they're going to want to know about the value because, you know, let's say your timeshare is worth five thousand dollars. And you post, hey, I got a timeshare for sale, and I want $100,000 for it. That's not going to fly as unsellable. They're saying, you are inflating the value so that it won't sell. And we're not buying that. You know, they're right. But if you, honest to goodness, have something you can't sell, you know, swampland in Florida or who knows what, you know, 
Maybe you got something that, you know, there's a piece of property here right off the square where my office is that burned out back in 2002 or 2003. And it's just this hollowed out shell. And I've represented a couple of clients over the year that talked about maybe buying that, but it was it just turned out to be unsellable. Nobody, nobody wants it. Once you find out about it, there's, it's got some history to it that's not too attractive. Um, I, actually, it's so unsellable. One of the clients told me I had to get back to the owner and say, I'm not going to pay anything for it, but I'll take it off their hands because they figured it would cost them money to deal with all the adverse <laughs> issues with it. So uh, as you can imagine, when I reported that back to the owner, they weren't too crazy about that. But anyway, that's what non-sellable is all about. So we've got these these categories of unavailable and non-sellable that are very similar, slightly different, but they are ways that we can take assets that are otherwise countable and make them non-countable or they're available and we're turning them into being not unavailable for the cost of care. Because again, if we're if we're going to if we're trying to sell something, you know, the ten cares the ten care rules recognize that it's unfair. Uh, it's unfair to consider the asset available to pay for a nursing home if it cannot be liquidated, right? So that's, and I get that. And, you know, sometimes 10 care is difficult to deal with, but I, the rules do recognize that. So if we, these are strategies that some of these are, if the shoe fits, we'll do it. You know, they'll work them, but they, uh, it has to fit. And like I said, this one has to be listed for a reasonable period of time. And sometimes in crisis, we don't have a reasonable period of time. We might have some, you know, those 100 days of Medicare, but still, um, I hate to flaunt with that. If we know it's going to be unassailable and we know that we, we have to show them that it can't be, its value can't be considered, we'll go this route. I've done this a handful of times. It's not a real common one. But like I said, if the circumstances fit, it works like a shot. It works like a shot. You just got to dot your I's and cross your T's, show them what you've done, show that it all complies with the rules, and then they don't have any issues with it. So, all right. So um, we're coming up on the break, and I'm going to pick it up, and we're going to start moving into some of the more advanced strategies, some of the divestments that we do or strategic divestments where we give property away and we, we intend to give it away. You know, you give it away. Does it give a penalty period? Yeah. Well, we're intending to do that. So uh, they're in a the form of promissory notes and annuities and stuff like that. So so anyway, listen, we are coming up on break number two. So stay with me here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan, and we will be right back. Did you know that 70% of Americans age 65 or older will need some form of long-term care in their lives? And even more frightening, 7 out of 10 people who go into long-term care will become completely impoverished within one year. It doesn't need to be that way. You do not need to go broke in the nursing home. Call Prochowski Estate Law to learn how you can protect your life savings and hard-earned property from the high cost of long-term care. Call me at 931-363-7222. 
Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. I'm your host, Tom Price. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, Saturdays at 9 a.m. and 6 p.m., right here on WKOM 101.7 FM Front Porch Radio. Join us for a journey through time. Are you looking to turn your car into cold, hard cash today? Don't look any further than Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. You probably know us for selling cars, but did you know we're in the business of buying cars? That's right. We buy all makes and models at top dollar every day. Show up with your car and leave with cash. It's that easy. Stop by today to get a written offer on your vehicle. Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia is family owned and proud to serve our community. You can count on us. Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Let's talk about antique versus vintage jewelry. Did you know antique jewelry is over 100 years old and vintage is 50 to 100 years? Tillis Jewelry, located downtown Columbia, has a wonderful collection from Georgian, Victorian, Edwardian, and Art Deco. We select every piece for their timeless beauty. Stop by and select your favorite piece. Jewelry to last a lifetime. Remember, Tillis Jewelry, your antique and vintage jewelry store. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hi, Jimmy here for Columbia Ace Hardware. Columbia Ace Hardware now carries Magnolia Home by Joanna Gaines Paint. Now their premium quality and huge selection of colors will be right in your neighborhood. Along with the award-winning service and advice, Columbia Ace has always provided for your paint projects. Around the block, what you need in stock, with people who know their paint. Columbia Ace, the helpful place. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. This is Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus. You're listening to Front Porch Radio on 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee. Right. All right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back from the break. And you are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. And I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. Okay, so before the break, I said we were going to talk about some of the advanced divestments. uh, And we will. 
I think I mentioned we might go into the annuities and the promissory note type stuff, but that's a little involved. And the third break on the show here is a little on the short side. So I'm going to cover this one last topic that I think I'll be able to fit in here. And we'll pick up with the advanced divestment strategies um, where we give stuff away uh, next week. So what I want to talk about, this last strategy, can be very useful sometimes, uh, especially here in the South where we've got a lot of farms that are active farms and produce money. And it's, it, the, the category is called income-producing property. So, you know, in Tennessee, you can exclude the value of property if it produces a monthly income. So, you know, that makes it possible, you know, that you can rent something out if you wanted to rent it out too. As long as it, you know, as long as it, it makes property. Um, I mean, it makes it makes the net rent from the rental, excluding the taxes and insurance and stuff pays, uh, produces enough uh, income. It's typically around you know a six percent return. Or there, it's so the way it kind of works is, you know, let's use an example for this. Let's say, um, you know, you have a patient who's got a home. And he's got $152,000 in liquid countable assets. Okay, and I use that number 152 because now we're going to offset that with the what the individual countable resource allotment, the $2,000 he's allowed to have. So when you take when you take that out of it, because we're allowed to have 2,000 out of 152,000, that leaves us with $150,000, right? So what we could do is the the $150,000 we could purchase a rental home. Okay, let's say the lease provides for a rent payment of $1,000 a month. Sounds reasonable, right? You know, I mean, you can, and sometimes these people do this, and because they're in care and we're trying to save their assets, they're not able to really manage these properties. But, you know, a management company can be used to take, take in the revenue and handle maintenance issues and stuff like that. And there's companies that do that. But uh, uh, once the purchase and, and the rental agreement is in place, so you're renting this thing out. Once that's in place, uh, then now the patient is free to file their 10 care application. And the net, you know, now the net rent, the rent you get, the $1,000 a month, is going to be factored into the monthly cost of that, that uh, the applicant's copay. In other words, the, it's going to go into their income, but the principal of the $150,000 they spent on the property is now becoming excluded. So, um, the uh, the ownership, you know, of the property is considered excluded, and you can it's a non-countable asset. Now, the one slight drawback of this is that if you do income-producing property and you exempt it, it can be available during a state recovery. State recovery is when you exempt an asset, which means it makes it non-countable, but you still own it. And so, at state recovery. They're going to go after what you still own, and you still own this piece of property. It didn't go anywhere. You, It just was not used against you for eligibility. In other words, it wasn't counted as countable, even though it was countable. However, if you refer back to when I talked about um, uh, unavailable assets, now here's a way we can tack strategies together to get a good result. What you can do is the ownership of this income-producing property that we just bought for $150,000 we can structure this so that the property is not included in the state recovery when after the patient dies. So we can have this, we can have a right of survivorship, or we can have a uh, ownership with it because it's a, it's a business. It's like a rental piece of property, and we can make the ownership where 
the other owner, you cannot sell it without the other owner's um, uh, permission. And if you, you know, then again, the other owner just refuses to sell, and therefore the uh, property it avoids estate recovery as well. Now, again, I want to make it clear if you're going to do this, it makes sense, but you are going to, uh, the income is definitely going to fall under the income category. We haven't talked about income eligibility yet, but we will here in a week or two or a couple of weeks till we get through all these divestment strategies. But, you know, it's going to be counted as income. But, you know, hey, the income is going to go toward the copay, <clears throat> but we have this $150,000 asset that we can now leave to our heirs, right? So we've converted that whole $150,000 into something decent. <clears throat> the, the trade-off works out pretty good. Now, one of the drawbacks is it has to stay rented. If there's a lapse or a gap, so like if it's a rental vacation home and, you know, you rent it by the week or something, uh, surely to gosh, there's going to be times when nobody's in it. And that can trigger it being re-included, uh, technically. I mean, they have to keep up with that and it's hard for them to do so. But I wouldn't, I mean, theoretically, it's supposed to be income producing to be excluded. So it has to stay income producing to be in that category, which is what I would advise. Uh, so, you know, a good way to do that is maybe rent it annually. I mean, if, you know, if, maybe you could buy some property and rent it to hunters and just have them pay for it annually. Another thing you could do if you want to protect it, you could have a plan B in effect and say, well, maybe my kids will pay $250 a month, you know, get a couple of them to pitch in $250 a month to keep it rented. And so they're kind of renting it, even though they're not really using it for anything. I mean, so now you're looking at, you know, each child's going to have about a 3000 to a $6,000 annual investment, but they stand to inherit a $50,000 return. So you see, all these strategies kind of hedge the money one way or another and take advantage of uh, the rule and, and, and make it work for us. Now, uh, it's, depending on the definition of property, I mean, you could do that with a vehicle, you know, income producing vehicle could be an Uber car. I mean, you're talking about smaller money, yeah, uh, you know, or a truck or something like that. I mean, you're talking about smaller money, but the theory is there. And in Tennessee, the it doesn't have to be real estate to be income producing property. So um, that's what the income producing property, again, that if it's, you know, if it's producing, if it's producing for you, you can exclude it. And if you can exclude it, it's we've just changed it from countable to non-countable. Again, the goal there is I would hesitate to exclude a piece of property. I would hesitate to do that without structuring the ownership so that it was unavailable and would defeat estate recovery after death as well. That would be the goal I'd want to do. And that's not too hard to do by the joint, the um, uh, co-ownership that we talked about before. So there's ways to do that. Uh, you just got to set it up that way. And all these things we do are things we would be doing ahead of time where we would be setting them up right so that's you know thus the word planning <laughs> so which is what we do so all right listen hey i'm about out of time so if you you know if you like what you heard this week and it's got your interest up listen i'm glad i'm really glad because my mission is to get the message out that when it comes to estate planning you got options i mean you have got a lot of options you know you, you just hadn't heard most of them is what the, the the problem is and there but there's plenty of them so um, my, you know, my mission is to get that out. Now, if you have any questions about your own family circumstances, I'm more than happy to take the time to answer. So call me at my office at 
888-627-7222 or go to my website at estateplanstan.com and you can that way you can uh, sign up for one of my 15-minute phone calls and that way your question gets my full time and attention dedicated to that question. Uh, I said earlier about seminars coming up. I looked at my calendar during one of the breaks and the next one is uh, J- uh, August the 19th which is also a Saturday and that's going to be up at the up in Franklin at the uh, Suite 50 or Suite 501 up there. I'll give you better details of that next week uh, so you know the actual location. It's a cute little place. It is a little limited on space, though. Uh, I I can't remember how many it holds, but it does have a limit, not like these other big ones we use. So, uh, Okay, so that's the seminar coming up. I'll talk about that a little more when we get there. Uh, Again, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. For the next episode of Bulletproof Estate Planning at 7 o'clock on WKOM 101.7 on Front Porch Radio, I am Estate Plan Stan, and I will see you next week. This is Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus radio show and podcast. Join Coach Mike Lyle and me as we talk about the great things happening at Murray County Public Schools, both on location and in the studio. Find the podcast on TheBigYellowSchoolBus.com or listen to the radio show each Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on 101.7 FM Front Porch Radio in Columbia, Tennessee. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at tenpin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. Having a tough time finding the right people for the job? Well, maybe it's time to take a second look at who you're hiring. Look beyond the wall. Unlock talent by hiring someone with a record. They did their time, and now you can take them from justice to a job. Get tax credits, training dollars, and protection bonds. The Tennessee Office of Reentry can show you how second chances work. Learn more at tnworkready.com. Brought to you by the Tennessee Department of Labor and Workforce Development, the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station. 
it's that time of day. I've got our, one of our, our favorite grocer on the line, Mr. Miles Johnson. Miles, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, what kind of great specials uh, do you guys have today that uh, everybody's going to want to come in and get? Well, this week we got ground chuck for three fifty nine a pound, old boneless pork loins a dollar ninety nine a pound, seedless watermelons five ninety nine each, food club sugar two for five, and Dasani twenty four pack water four ninety nine. Great deals as always, and uh, they run all the way through next Tuesday. And again, you guys are open seven days.